Good morning. It's good to see you all with us this morning. We want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. Glad you are here with us to worship the Lord together. Our scripture reading is going to be in Psalm chapter 18. We'll look at verses 31 through 37. Just a couple of things before we turn to that verse. Um, if you're a visitor with us, we'd love for you to get your hands on a Connect card. Uh, even if you've been here a few times but you've never filled one out, uh, just looking for your name, email address, uh, phone number, and a way to contact you so that we, we don't want to overlook anybody. <clears throat> I would also want to put a plug in real quick for members who are here that have moved uh, recently within the past year or so, maybe even two years since, our, since we did our directory. If you've moved, uh, please let us know so we can get your uh, your new address so we can update records and we want to make sure that we have current uh, addresses if you've changed phones and things like that just think about uh, helping us update that information as well as we're looking to try to get information for our visitors we realize that we're also a lot of times uh, missing information on some of our our members and so we would like to get that information updated one more thing uh, as we get started uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day, and I just wanted to recognize, uh, or ask rather, are there any in here this morning that, that are veterans that have served in, in the armed forces over the years? Do we have any? If you could just raise your hand and let us know. Uh, so, all right. Well, we do. We are thankful to God for, uh, for those who have served in the armed forces, those who have helped uh, promote freedom around the world and I kind of wanted to keep that theme in mind as we look at our text today and then we'll pray uh, but Psalm uh, 18 verses 31 through 37 it's a psalm of David we know David was a, a man a warrior uh, a leader of God's army and so he writes this for who is God but the Lord and who is a rock except our God the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You've made a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. And I know that's not our typical Sunday morning passage of scripture, but I'm one of those guys that I'm a little comforted in a God who's a warrior. I find comfort in, in a God who is fierce for battle, mighty to save, who can conquer enemies, and who can equip his people uh, to do so physically and spiritually. And so we know that we live in a fallen world, and we know that war is a reality, but we also see that God is with the warrior. God, God protects them. God uh, trains them. God equips them to be successful in those campaigns. And so we think about just the, the, what we would call the necessary evil of, of having standing armies and the warfare that we, and conflicts that we get into. But we also recognize that God was with David. And David specifically said, God, I went through boot camp in a sense, and you, you made me fit. You made me strong. You made me able. We don't pray for war. We don't desire the taking of life, but we thank God who makes men and women able to deal with those things so that we can have freedom, so that we can promote justice around the world. And so we want to remember those things as we remember 
our veterans uh, in, the, in this church, within the community, around the world. So let's pray this morning. Father, we're reminded through the reading this morning, through David's words, that you are uh, a mighty warrior and you train uh, men and women for war. And God, we, we, we do not desire war. We do not treat it lightly. It's not something that we enjoy, but it is something that we deal with. And so, God, we're thankful that for the men and women who have served in the armed forces, that they've been able to do that and that you've protected them, God, those who are still with us. You've, you've watched over them. You've, you've protected them. You've made them successful, Lord, for your glory. We ask, God, that you would indeed be with uh, our, our vets, God, that you would draw them to yourself. We know that, that many suffer, Lord, with, with uh, PTSD, that many, Lord, are, are, are struggle emotionally, struggle, Lord God, to overcome the, the things that they've seen and the things that they've done. And so we lift them up to you this morning, God, remembering and thinking about just probably millions if not hundreds of thousands of vets lord that are homeless around the the united states lord we think about them and their needs and we ask that you would be with them and bless them and meet their needs god that you would increase our nation's ability to care for them that you would increase our compassion and our concern for them because god as we see here you were with david you're not against those who serve in, in the armed forces in fact you are are the reason that they can do what they do and so we recognize that you're a protecting God. We recognize that you are a, a, a shield, as David said, that you are the reason that they've been successful in, in the campaigns that they've undertaken. And so, God, we, we pray that as they come back from those things, Lord, as our troops come home from the places that they're serving now, that they would find in our country a nation prepared to love them, prepared to care for them, to meet them. God, we're thankful for the advances in medicine, the advances in in uh, prosthetics, the advances, Lord, in our ability to understand uh, a mind wearied by battle. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a nation to be able to serve our vets and, and that you would bring comfort and peace and ease to them. But, Lord, on the other side of this, we're thankful for Christ, who is a warrior. We're thankful that he has fought and decisively won the battle against our greatest enemy, which is Satan and, and, and death. We're thankful, God, that he has overthrown the enemy, and we're thankful that through him we have equipment, Lord, to fight. Though our, our battle is not with flesh and blood, it's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, but you've equipped us with weapons that are, that are necessary for this warfare. And God, as David said, that you trained his hands for war. We can say, in a sense, God, that you train our hands for war. Help us, O oh God. Help us to take up that warfare, to fight against spiritual things, to fight, Lord, in the heavenly places, to, to fight with the weapons of the word of God and with prayer, and that we would not grow weary, that we would not run in defeat, but that we would find, like David, that our feet are planted firmly, that they do not slip, and that through our God, we would win victory. And we thank you, O Lord, that, that you are courageous, that you go before us as the uh, captain of the army of the, the, the Lord of hosts, and that you have that you're a shield about us. God, help us to take our refuge in you. Keep us, Lord, each and every one safe and protected from the fiery darts of the enemy and give us ultimate victory, our reward in heaven. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's have our ushers come forward this morning for our offering. We talked this morning in our class that I'm leading in Sunday school about uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
And what we just sang was really the, what the, the tax collector said. He w went into the temple to pray, and, and he simply said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You're, you're all that I have. Christ is all that I have. He's all that I need. That's, that's the gospel. We don't come with our works or who we are. We come with Christ, and Christ is all that we need. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We, we thank you that we're able to be here today because of the righteous the righteousness of Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for the death of Christ as he stood in our place. God, we praise you this morning. We come to worship you this morning because of these realities. We come even to give this morning because of the realities of the gospel. We are, we are elated that we have experienced the forgiveness that comes through him. Lord, we want others to know that as well. And so we give this morning as an expression of our love to you and, and with a desire that the gospel would continue to go forth from this church and that we would be able to support other ministries as well all over the world. God bless this offering this morning and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 John, continuing our, our series this morning in 1 John and we've been looking at it as I've said before we're we're looking at it sort of in a thematic approach rather than just going verse by verse because uh, there are certain themes that are, are so prominent and come up over and over again. Um, so we're going to look at two texts this morning. Uh, the first one is in 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. So find that, and then in my Bible, it's just right over the page, 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1, and we'll read both of these texts. Our theme this morning is, is looking at the, the theme of false teachers. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse number 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you have all knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist he who denies the father and the son no one who denies the son has the father whoever confesses the son has the father also let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God 
and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Some of us, I think, at times have a tendency perhaps to be a a little bit naive. Maybe we've lived in a sort of sterilized environment where where everyone is nice and and good. Don't get me wrong, we we know that evil exists, but we assume that uh, evil will be evident to us. We tend to think that we'll have no problem spotting someone who is evil. It, it, it'll be clear to us, right? They, they look like Hitler or something like that. There's a, there's a devil on their shoulder or something that, that will really mark them out. It will be really evident. But we, we oftentimes don't have a category for someone who looks normal, who sounds nice, who seems good, but who under the veneer of all that niceness is actually bad. We, we don't tend to have a category for this. That's why you see so often people being deceived in, in, in our world. For example, when it comes out that some member of the community who has been highly esteemed, and then it comes out to the, that they've been doing very wicked, very vile things underneath, and everybody says, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. We had no idea. We thought this guy was the, the, was the best. We never, we never dreamed that he was embezzling money. We, we never dreamed that, that he was doing those awful things to, to children. We, we just don't have a category for that. This dang, danger is particularly felt in the church. Part of that reason why is that we, we desire to love and accept everyone. That's, that's our sort of inclination. We want, we want to believe the best about people. We, we often work on assumption that people are who they say they are. And under normal circumstances, those are, those are good qualities. But some, sometimes people are not who they say they are. Sometimes people are deceptive. And this is true even among church leaders, ministry leaders, pastors, teachers, Christian authors, Christian singers. You see, not everyone who stands in front of a congregation holding a Bible and saying, thus says the Lord, is speaking the truth. And you need to have a category for that. They, they may look the part. They may stir your emotions. They may read from or quote the Bible. They may be the best speaker you've ever heard. They may be as nice as pie. They may tell you things that you like to hear. They, they may be a very effective leader. They, they may help your church grow uh, in number. But none of those things are sure signs that they are speaking the truth. And we need to have a category and and practice discernment for people who seem to be uh, one thing, but in in reality are something else. That's actually what we see in our text. That's our first point this morning. We see the presence of false teachers, the presence of false teachers. This text assumes that there are false teachers in the church. You see in chapter 2 verse 18, children it is the last hour and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming so now many Antichrists have come already he's saying. And then in chapter 4 verse 1, beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into 
the world. And so we, we, throughout these texts that we just read, we saw words like antichrist. We, we saw them referred to as spirits that are not from God, uh, as false prophets, as spirits of error and, and of liars. And so antichrists are just those who are professing to be Christ or to be like Christ uh, and, and seek to take the place of Christ in some way. But in reality, they're the opposite of Christ. They're, they're against him. They're deceivers, false prophets. A prophet is a person who's speaking on behalf of God. A false prophet is one who's claiming to speak on behalf of God, but, but is not speaking on behalf of God. And in, 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 in fact, is speaking things that are not true. Liars and those who have a spirit of error are those who are motivated by Satan, really. Those who uh, are, are motive by, motivated by the father of lies himself. And what you need to understand is that just like in John's day in the early church in the New Testament period, false teachers are an ongoing reality in our present day, in our present time. False teachers were not something that was just happening in, in this day, in, in the New Testament period. False teachers, false prophets, those who have the spirit of Antichrist uh, are, are a present reality in our day and time. John says in chapter 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. You see, we're in the last hour. And part of the reality of being in the last hour or being in the last days is that there will be false teachers. It was true in the time of the Apostle John in the New Testament church. It's been true throughout church history, and it is true today. Sometimes people talk about the last days or the last hours as if, you know, that's just the very, very end of time before Jesus comes. But the reality is that the Bible, the New Testament, sees the last days as that entire period from the time of Christ's first coming until the time of his second coming. That is the last days or the last hours. It is the time in which all of the prophecies of, of the Old Testament have sort of broken in. The Messiah has come. And, and we kind of live in this in-between age. The kingdom of Christ has come. The Messiah has come. The, the promises of the Old Testament have begun to be fulfilled. They've been inaugurated, but they haven't yet been consummated. So there's an already not yet, as theologians say. It has started. The end of time has started. With the coming of Jesus Christ, we started the clock on the end days, the last times or the last hour, as John has said it. So we are living in the last days and what we see here is that the apostle john says one of the realities of being in the last days or the last hour is that there will be false teachers so we just need to be aware of that you need to be aware of that in the church you need to be aware of that uh, uh in the sort of the broader church community the 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 people that you listen to the bible studies that you listen to the podcasts that you listen to the books that you read the people that you follow on facebook you just need to be aware that there's a need for discernment because we're in the last days the last hour and one of the realities of being in the last hour is that there will be false teachers and so uh, that's that's where we're at we see then not only the the presence of false teachers but secondly, we see this morning the pressing need for discernment. The pressing need for discernment. We see this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So do you see what the call is there? The, the call is for us to practice discernment. We see there's the presence of, we're in the last days, there's going to be false teachers, so this is what you need to do. There's a positive command and a negative command. The first is, is the negative command. Do you see verse 1? Do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everybody that's holding a Bible and is preaching and claiming to be a, a religious spiritual leader. Don't believe all of them. Do not believe every spirit. Instead, he says, that we are to test the spirits. So this, this idea of testing the spirits, what that means is that we really ought to have a healthy level of skepticism when it comes to Bible teachers, preachers, and spiritual leaders. That There are people that we should not believe. We, we should hear what they're saying, and we should say, that's not right. I'm not listening to that guy. I'm not reading her books. I, I, that is not what the truth of the gospel says. We ought to have a category for that. Don't believe everyone. You need to practice discernment. Test the spirits means that we should do something then to discern. We should do something to discern who we should and should not listen to. Test the spirits isn't talking about some kind of magical, mystical incantation. It is simply the act of evaluating teachers. When he says test the spirits, he's saying just evaluate what, what you're listening to. Don't just take it in in an unthinking way and just assume, oh, this guy's a pastor of a church. Okay, this means this, this should be good. He's, he's on a religious channel. That means that, that what he's saying is true and I should listen to it. No, test the spirits. Evaluate what they are saying and what they are teaching. When he says test the spirits, he isn't talking about some kind of mystical being like, like ghosts. What he's saying is that each teacher is either from God and they're motivated by the Spirit of God, they're being led by the Spirit of God and what they're teaching is the truth, or they're, they're of, as Jesus said, they're of the wicked one, the, the devil who's a deceiver, and they're being motivated by the spirit of Satan and they are seeking to deceive. So when he says test the spirits, he's just saying evaluate Listen to what they're saying. Are, are they speaking from God? Are they speaking the truth? Or are they speaking something that's distorted, something that is deceptive? The reason, listen, the reason we must test the spirits is because false teachers don't, don't come with, with an F marked on their forehead for false teachers, right? They, they, they don't come in ways that, that look readily apparent to us. We as Christians don't get some kind of spidey sense that, oh no, something's going wrong here. Like, we, we don't have the kind of intuition that we can, not a lot of Spider-Man fans here, I guess. Uh, we, we don't have just some intuition that we can just feel like, oh, I didn't feel good about that guy. Or, oh, I felt good about him. Like, that's not the way that we evaluate teachers. We need to do something. Maybe you're here this morning, you think, man, this is kind of, too difficult. Perhaps it, it feels like maybe that's above your pay grade, but you need to rest assured this morning that God has not left you in the lurch without adequate guidance to keep you. When he says to us to test the spirits, this is implying that there are certain ways we may be able to test and discern the reality of the situation. Christian, you're not left to, to leave it to luck or chance. God has provided a way for his people to be protected from false teachers 
So if you're here this morning, think, man, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to listen and to, to be able to, to discern that. Well, well, hopefully this morning, what we're going to see is, is you've got some tools that God has given you. You've got some resources to be able to do that. You don't need me. I, I, I'm willing to help you and we can talk through those kind of things. But you don't need me or Jared. You, you have been given the resources on your own to be able to evaluate. And in one sense, you really ought to be evaluating me. And you ought to be evaluating Jared. You ought to be evaluating anybody who stands behind this pulpit. You ought to be evaluating any pastor that you're listening to. You, you ought to be evaluating any book that you're reading, any meme or anything that you see posted on Facebook. You ought to be evaluating that. And God has given you, as a believer, a New Testament believer, he's given you adequate resources to do that. You don't need me to be your priest. You don't need me to do that work for you. You have been richly supplied by God in order to be able to do that yourself. And so let's look at what, what are the resources uh, that God has given to us. And that's what we see here. Thirdly, we see the provision for discernment, the provision for discernment. Well, first of all, we see that God has given us a teacher, a guide to be with you, to be with us, and to help us discern the truth. So you see this in chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Do you see what he says here? He's saying this group went out and you can imagine, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how unsettling that would be if you just imagine that half of our church just begins to get up and we'll, put, we'll make me the bad guy this time, Jared, all right? Uh, they, they begin to follow me into some kind of error and, and we're saying, you know, Jared and the rest of those people who are here left at church, they've mistaken it. They're, they're wrong. We have the truth. You need to follow us. You, you could imagine how, how unsettling that would be. And so he said, look, they went out from us because they were not of us. But listen, don't, don't worry. You have an anointing. You, you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. If you hear this morning, there, there's two ways that that could be read or translated. It could say you have all knowledge or you all have knowledge. And both of them are, are, are true in a sense. He's saying you have all the knowledge that you need. There, there's not some new secret truth that, that's going to be revealed that will change everything. You have all the knowledge. You have all the truth that you need but because of this anointing. But, but he's also saying all of you have knowledge. All right, so... So you believer, you, you need to get out of the mindset that, that thinks, well, I, I can't do that. I can't read the Bible. I can't understand. I can't discern. No, no, no. You have knowledge. You all have knowledge and you have all the knowledge that you need. And then we see this again in verses 26 and 27 of chapter two. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, here's this idea again, this anointing that you have received from him abides in you. You've been anointed by God, and that anointing abides in you, it remains in you, and you have no need that someone should teach you. You have no need for someone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he's saying here, 
you've got these people that are going out and they're claiming that they have this special knowledge, that they've uncovered something new that you didn't know before. And now what you really need for your Christian life is to come and listen to us and we'll explain this new truth that has been secret. Uh, this Greek Gnosticism, that's what it was built around, this idea of secret knowledge. And, and if you get this secret knowledge that we have, you will be enlightened and you will know that everything that you need. And John is saying, no, 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 you have the truth. You've been anointed. And, and in that anointing, you've been given all the knowledge that you need. And there's no need for you to go and find some new truth. And you don't need any teachers who are going to teach you something new that you haven't heard before. You don't need anyone like that to teach you because you have this anointing. So what the, the anointing does, what, what does the anointing do? These believers have been anointed by God in verses 19 through 20. And as a result, all of them have knowledge and they have all the knowledge they need. And then the anointing remains with them. And as a result, they don't need anyone who could give them secret knowledge. The anointing teaches them everything that they need to know. And we see that in verse 27, everything that's true. So what is this anointing? What is he talking about when he's saying you have been anointed by the Holy One? And as a result, you have all the knowledge that you need. What, what is that anointing? Well, I think, and I think most commentators are, are here with me, uh, it doesn't explicitly say but, but when you read it in context of all of Scripture, I think it's clear that it's the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because Jesus promised when he was here on earth, he promised his disciples that he would pour out the Holy Spirit on them, that he would, he would return to the Father. And when he returned to the Father, they would be absent. Their, their teacher would be absent. The one who's been guiding them and instructing them is going to be gone. But he says, don't worry about that. Because when I return to my father, I'm going to send another teacher, another helper, another comforter, another guide, and he's going to lead you. He'll give you the knowledge that you need. He's the spirit of truth, and he'll guide you into all truth. Jesus promised to his disciples that when he left, he would not leave them alone. Instead, he would return to the father, and when he did, the father would pour out his spirit upon Jesus' followers. And I think that's the anointing that he's talking about listen to the way that he describes this this is John 14 verses 15 to 17 he says if you love me you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever the spirit of truth this helper that he's going to give to you is the spirit of truth do you hear that the, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. He's here now with you because I have the Holy Spirit residing in me. He's, he's motivating me. He's guiding me in my life. So he's with you. But when I return to the Father, he's going to be sent and he's going to be in you. This spirit of truth is going to be internal within the followers of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 25 of that same passage, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Listen to these words. What will the Spirit do? He will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so this is what we, we see here. The, the Spirit of truth would dwell within the disciples and would teach them. And I think that's what John is saying here. 
He's saying to these believers who are confused that part of their church has leapt away and said, we've found new knowledge. We've got new teachers who are instructing us in deeper, secret, hidden knowledge that you all don't know. And John is saying, no, 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 no. You all have the Holy Spirit. The Holy One of God has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher. You don't need those kind of teachers. Believers here this morning, you're in the same boat. You have been given the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens your eyes to the truth. He's the one who has enabled you to be able to believe the truth in the first place. And guess what? He's the one who will lead you and guide you in the truth throughout the remainder of your life. The Holy Spirit of God is our guide. He's our teacher. He's our instructor. And for the one who truly has the Spirit of God residing in him, the Spirit will keep us from going off into error, from believing things that are false and heretical. So here you are this morning. You say, I, I don't know that I can discern. I, I don't know that I have the ability to weigh. It says test the spirits. And that means I'm supposed to be able to discern if this teacher that I'm listening to is telling the truth, speaking the truth, really speaking a message from God or is, is speaking some kind of lie. I don't know that I can do that. You can do it. The spirit of God resides within you and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will keep you in the truth. But not only do you have the Holy Spirit, you have a second resource, and that is you have the knowledge. You have knowledge. You have the truth. And because you have knowledge, and because you have the truth, you're able then to discern what is not the truth. Okay? We, we have the real thing. It's kind of like when, when people are trained to spot counterfeit money. I know you've heard this example before because I've used it before. But when you, when you train someone to, to spot counterfeit money, you really don't spend a lot of time looking at counterfeits, right? There's no need to. What, what you do is you look at what the real thing is because there are certain marks on, on a real bill that, that are going to be there. And so if you learn, and, and they're, not, they're not able to be duplicated by what is false. So if you just learn what the real thing looks like, if you look for the, the identifying marks on a real bill, you'll know when you, when you spot a fake. And that's what John is going to say here. He's saying, look, you've got the truth. I've given you the truth. You have the truth in the word of God. And because you have the word of God, you should be able then to spot what is not the word of God, what is not true. So listen to chapter 2, verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So he's saying here, you heard the message. You heard it from the beginning, meaning from the start of the inauguration of, of when, when the apostles went out and began to preach the gospel. You've heard it from the beginning. We've been preaching the gospel. We've been preaching who Jesus Christ is. We preach to you that, that he is our propitiating sacrifice, that he died for our sins. We preach to you that he's the son of God, truly God and truly man. We've preached to you all of those things. You have the knowledge. You have the truth. And guess, I, I love this statement here. He says, uh, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. You know the truth, so don't, don't doubt yourself here. You know what it is. And then he says this, and because no lie is of the truth. And that, that's a little phrase like just jumps out at me. That's a really 
weird thing to say. It seems really obvious that, that no lie is of the truth. Thanks for that, John. But, but it's just reassuring us. Look, if you know what the truth is, guess what? Anything that's not the truth is a lie. There, no, no lies of the truth. So if something that you're hearing that they're saying is contradicting the word of God, it's not of the truth. It's, it's false. So you have the resources this morning. What are the resources that God has given to you to keep you in the truth and to keep you on the path? Well, well, first of all, he's given his Holy Spirit to you. He's anointed you with the spirit of truth, who is your God. He's the one that revealed truth to you in the first place. He's the one who keeps you in the truth. So walk in the spirit. And number two, you've been given the word of God, the message of the apostles, the New Testament, and, and you have the truth. And so you have the ability to look at the truth and then look at what's being preached and seek to discern. And you, if, if you have normal faculties, are able to do that, right? No lie is of the truth. So if anything's contradicting the word of God, uh, then it is something you should not believe. Now, one of the things we need to recognize and, and why I think this statement, there, no lie is of the truth, is such a, a good statement is that it's very rare, rare is the time when, when someone will be so forthright as to come out and say, I'm rejecting Christianity. I'm rejecting what, what the Bible says. They, they always tend to make plausible sounding arguments and, and they use the Bible to, to do so. Of course, I still believe this, but now I see other things and this shed new light on, on the issue. I just think we need to emphasize this more and, and we've misunderstood that, misunderstood that. And all of it sounds pretty convincing until you just simply go back to the word of God, the truth, the, the deposit of the faith that's been handed down to us from the apostles. And then you can clearly see that, no, 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 they're diverging from the truth. You see, that's why we have to have discernment because, because they're presenting it as truth and they're presenting it as if it's biblical truth and they're using Bible verses to do so. And, and, and they have a platform in some religious organization to be able to do this. And so we need to be able to go back to the word of God and compare these things. And so that is the provision for discernment. And then this morning, our final point is that we see the process of discernment, the process of discernment. Well, how, how do we do that? Maybe, maybe let's think about this a little bit more uh, about Okay, we're seeing what we've been given in order to do that, but what would it look like? What, what kind of things do I need to be looking for to discern what is truth and what is error? And I would say this, the, the first test that you need to, to, to look at is kind of what we've just been talking about, and that is the test of apostolic authority. The test of apostolic authority. I'm talking about the apostles. So Jesus came, he called 12 apostles who he taught personally, and, he, and they are the ones who wrote the New Testament. They, they are the ones who handed the truth down to us. And so we need to accept apostolic authority. That is the writings of the New Testament as our authority. False teachers, false teachers in some way will always reject, reject apostolic authority. Look at chapter four, verses four through six. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. So he's talking about they, the they would be the false teachers. They, they're from the world. But we, 
And I think here he's saying we apostles. We apostles are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So I think here's one of the first tests that you can use to discern. Is the the person that I'm listening to, do they accept the writings of the apostles, the New Testament that we have? Do they accept them as authoritative? If they listen to the apostles, he says, they're of the truth. If they, if they, who, whoever knows God listens to us. So are they submitting to the word of God? False teachers reject apostolic authority. In other words, they reject the teaching of the Bible that the apostles wrote. I think they do this, as I think about it, in three primary ways. Three primary ways that people you are listening to may reject the the authority of Scripture, especially the writing of the apostles in the New Testament. One is by simply ignoring and overlooking what they really don't like. They ignore and overlook. So they will preach, and they will preach things that are true, and they will preach things that sound good, and they will preach the word of God, but they will not preach, as Paul says, the whole counsel of God. There are certain things that they will avoid. There are certain things that they will not preach on. There are certain areas in the Bible that they wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. They will select the text that kind of sound in line with what they are teaching, and they will teach those and teach those and teach those, but they would never come over here and teach these other things. They, they pro- practice so- selectivity in the way that they approach the Word of God. So they can sound very good. It, it isn't that so much... Everything that they're saying is wrong. It's just sometimes what they aren't saying. I I remember an example of this is um, someone who's very popular uh, on on television, has a a very large church, and he was on um, Larry King. And and Larry King said, you've got such a positive message. You're always so happy. You're smiling. You're always, you've got all these people, and you you just talk so much about being positive. uh, But, you know, you never preach about hell. And, and that's just something I've noticed. Why, why is it that you never come to that issue? And he responded to him, you know, Larry, that's just not my message. My message is a positive message. Now, much some of what that preacher would say in, in the positive sense could have been true. But do you see he was a false teacher because of the things that he neglected to say? You see, if you, if you neglect to teach and to preach about the reality of hell, that makes you a false teacher. You're being selective in what you teach. Like, I just don't want to teach about that. I don't really like that. It doesn't really fit with my my image. And that's one of the ways that false teachers will uh, sort of counteract or reject the apostolic authority. Second is that they do this by suggesting some new interpretation that gets to the real meaning. You know, some people, they're they're so bold, you know, the, the... Sort of the old school, like, let's just ignore it, let's not talk about it. That's, that's a little more timid. But, but there are some who are so bold as to come to the word of God and reinterpret it in such a way that it completely distorts the meaning of what it's saying. And, and it boggles my mind. People come to certain texts and they say, you know, it seems like it's saying this. But, you know, when we kind of reinterpret it and look at it from this new light, it's actually saying, well, it's actually saying the very opposite what it seems like it's saying. Like that's such a dangerous thing. It's such a, a telling thing, but it's, it's something that you see more and more. They, 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 they don't outright reject apostolic authority, 
but they so twist and distort. As Peter says, they wrestle the scriptures to their own destruction. They twist it and distort its meaning so that it comes out to mean really the exact opposite of what it seems to mean at face value. The third way that they reject apostolic authority is just by simply rejecting certain parts of the New Testament out of hand. This, this view concedes that or, or, or considers that there really are just errors in, in the Bible. The apostles were not infallible. Uh, when they wrote, they were men. They made mistakes. They were limited by their own cultural perspective. Uh, they weren't inspired by God in the way that we talk about inspiration, about mo being moved by God to really pin down the exact words that God wanted to say. So these are just simply the thoughts and the ideas of men who lived in the first century they were very good men. They were men who were very close to God. They were men who knew Christ. They have a lot of wisdom, but they got some things wrong. Those are three ways that people reject apostolic authority. That's one of the ways you can discern this person is a false teacher. The second test is their relationship to the church, their relationship to the church. Chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us. John is saying, here we are, the church. They went out from us. These false teachers went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, the relationship of false teachers to the church is very telling. You notice they begin in the church. False teachers always start in the church, typically. That, that, that's part of their what they're, what they're going about to do or what Satan is doing through them is to deceive people who are in the church. So, so they begin in the church, but, but you notice they go out of the church. They, they don't end up staying in the church. They begin in the church because their work is to destroy the church, but eventually they go out of the church. And you see this with false teachers so often. False teachers tend to have some kind of beef or problem with the church that then they, they love to err in public. And they disparage the church. They speak of the church as if it's foolish and infantile and you're getting it all wrong. And, and now I've come to understand something better. I, I've grown and so many people in the church just don't get this. Now I, I'm, I've kind of reached this higher level and I've got this better understanding of the word of God. I'm interpreting it rightly and they're all wrong. And so I, I'm getting out of the church. They will present themselves in a, as an attempt to make things right to start new, to do it the right way, independently of the old church that has gotten so far off track. They say things like, you know, I grew up in the church and I just saw too much. I, I had all I could take. I just couldn't do it anymore. So now I'm doing my own thing. They're still seeking to, to leech off of the church. They're still writing books and, and, and selling uh, their products to people who are in the church, but they're, they're working from the outside at that point. People who do this are demonstrating clearly their falseness. They are not true teachers. This is one of the reasons why the Apostle John in, in this letter so emphasizes the issue of love. These people who have gone outside of the church and who are now acting like we're so superior to you. We have more knowledge. We have better knowledge than you. You are getting it wrong. You are just so, so dumb. You've misinterpreted. You, you've been misled for so long. We have what an unloving thing to do. John makes it clear in John 2.10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness 
People who go outside of the church and then disparage the church and act superior to the church are showing that they are not in the light, but that they are in darkness. One of the things that you, you see with people who leave the church, they were in the church, they go out of the church, one of, they reject the church, but what they find is they actually find acceptance in the world. You know, when people leave the church, people begin to interview them. Oh, we want to hear all about how the church is such a horrible place. We want to hear all about how, how the church has distorted this and gotten it wrong. And we want you to tell us how you now have this better understanding of the truth. And, and they will have interviews and they will sell books. They will be beloved by the world. And that's exactly what John says in John, 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you're from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in the world is greater, uh, he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They, these false teachers, they're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So they were in the church, then they leave the church. When they leave the church, they go from being rejected by the world to being accepted. Oh, now, now that you're embracing this, now, now that you're saying that this is no longer the truth, you, now that you're on board with what the world is okay with, now the world's going to love you, and you're going to sell all kinds of books. You're going to be loved by the world when you leave the church, and that's that's the second test, the, the relationship to the church. The third test is their view of Christ. He says in chapter 2, verse 23, Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then in chapter 4, Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Here's the test. How, how do you know if someone's a false teacher? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now John was dealing with a, a particular matter. It was a particular error in his day. But I think that John was doing more than just combating that particular error. I actually believe that the Apostle John was laying down a test for us, a once-for-all kind of test in which we are able to discern all truth and error, all matters of orthodoxy, uh, of being true and right in the word of God, actually come down to those who confess Christ and those who do not confess Christ, those who deny Christ. If a person denies Christ, they are a false teacher. How, do we, how does a person deny Christ? Well, we can deny his person. That's what they were doing in this day. We can deny that he was either fully God or fully man. There are many professing Christians. There, there are organizations out there who call themselves churches that deny either the deity or the humanity of Jesus Christ. So that's test number one. Right? If, if they're rejecting that Christ really was God, fully God, or that he really was fully man, that is a false teacher. They're, they're denying Christ. We can deny not only his person, we can deny his work. We can deny his, his saving work. So there are those who, who deny the, or the idea that we trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Oh, yes, yes. They will say, trust in Jesus Christ, believe in Jesus Christ, but you also must be baptized. You almost also must be in the church. You, you must also do these good works. And if you believe in Christ and you do these good things, then you'll be right with God. You see, they're denying the saving work of Jesus Christ. 
We can deny our, our need for him. We can deny our, our sinfulness and thus our, our need for a savior. Uh, John says if anyone says that he's, he has no sin, that he's without sin, that he's a liar. We can deny our, our need of Christ by rejecting God's righteous anger. Many people in our day are doing that. Like, that's not the God I would serve. I, don't, I, I, I just can't have, I don't have a concept of God that would pour out wrath and judgment on sinners for all eternity. Like, I, I don't have that, that concept. And you see, when we deny that reality, we're actually denying the reality of our need for Christ. If God is not a holy God who pours out his justice and wrath upon sin, then Christ would not have died, right? The only reason Christ must die is because God is righteous and he does bring judgment upon sin. So we can deny Christ's saving work, but we can also deny Christ's teaching work. See, Jesus came to die for our sins, but he also came to teach us. He came to instruct us about truth and about the way that we ought to, to live. To confess Christ, then, this morning, is not merely to confess him as Savior, but to confess him as your Lord and Master. There are so many people that want to confess him. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. I'll take that all day long. All I do is believe and, and I'm saved and I never have to worry about anything else. No, no. Jesus, when we confess him, we confess him as our Savior, but also as our Lord and master, we, we can deny him then by, by not following him. And some do that. Some just practically deny him by not following his teaching. One of the things that you will notice about false teachers over and over again is that so often they are involved in some kind of immorality. Sometimes it, doesn't, it isn't readily apparent, but it sometimes comes out later. Oh yeah, this whole time they've been involved in embezzling money. And, and, and in extramarital affairs. And there was all kinds of wickedness for anybody that was able to see it. There, there were signs there. They were not following Jesus Christ. They were denying Christ in their lives. We can deny Christ's teaching work also by embracing things. Some of the things that I think of today that are a denial of Christ's teaching, something like the health and wealth gospel, right? Those who say that Jesus is just here to make you happy and healthy. He's here to just facilitate all of your American dream. Everything that you want, that's what Jesus is here to do. He's like a genie. And, and, and that's, what you, that's what Jesus is. When in fact Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's the area of, of sexuality. Those who would say that Jesus no longer carries, cares about our, our sexuality, that that's been redefined, that Jesus really didn't say this or didn't teach that. You see, there's a way of denying what Jesus taught. And I think this is the standard. As you're evaluating, uh, evaluating false teachers, you can look at this. Do they confess Christ? Do they believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is? Do they teach what Jesus taught? Or are they teaching something else? Well, in conclusion this morning, we see really the importance of this. Why is this so important? Why does it matter so much? that we believe the truth? Why, why is this so important that we practice discernment? And I'll just close with these words. This is chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Let, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. You see, if you believe the truth, you abide in Christ. 
And if you abide in Christ, then you have the promise that is eternal life. So if we take the opposite of that, if you don't believe the truth, you don't abide in Christ. And if you don't abide in Christ, you don't have eternal life. This is a matter of eternal importance. And you have the responsibility to practice discernment. And you have the resources to be able to practice that discernment. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that as a church you would help us to grow in our understanding and our knowledge of the truth. We, we pray that you would guide us in the truth, that you would keep us in the truth through your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, not to be deceived. I pray this morning, Lord, perhaps there are some even now that have begun to hear things that really is something they like to hear. It's, it, it sounds pleasing to their ear and they're being allured and enticed by things that really are not true. I pray that you would protect them, that you would preserve them, that through your Holy Spirit you would, you would guide them away from that error and back into the truth that we've heard from the beginning. Help us to remain in the truth as a church. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.